You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. How are we doing this afternoon, Embassy? I'm going to stick around and get a little chocolate mousse after this. You know, take advantage of the new location. Um, it's good to be with you. Um, Sundays, yeah, it's the Lord's Day. So it's always, always good for us to gather uh, as a church family. Uh, like Maria said, if you're here for the first time as a guest, I'm super impressed. Um, if you're here for the second time uh, and you joined us last week, still impressed. Uh, my name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy. Um, and Actually, um, before we get started, we want to kind of draw attention to what last week was, because that was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, last week was, it was everything it, it should have been, right, to, to say the right things about how incredible God is and what he's done for us uh, through Christ and the resurrection. Um, so I actually want to, um, to just take a second and say thank you and actually invite you all to say thank you, because the staff and the serve team volunteers um, put a lot of work into what last week was. I don't know if you noticed it, um, but it was just a lot, and everything ran super according to plan. Um, a few, a few little things we debriefed, but can we just kind of take a moment and just like round of applause, like thank you, volunteers, staff. Um, yeah, man. Uh, as a church plan, especially one of the things I love about church planning life is it just strips the church down to its bare bones and basic. You know what is it, uh, Maria? You know. Go and look, it's a people, um, but, but none of that stuff happens. Those moments aren't created unless people like you step up and, and serve and make it happen and give your time and energy and skills. And so thank you for, for all you guys who, who led out and created a moment for us to just uh, celebrate the resurrection. That was really awesome. Um, so I want to kind of draw attention uh, now that we're kind of doing this embassy on the move thing. Um, to what's been going on in the news lately. Um, so uh, what's going on in Ukraine with the Russian invasion? Um, the Russian army has kind of moved from around Kiev and north, uh, if you've kept up with the geopolitics and everything going on. Um, and now they're, they're focusing on the east and the southern part of the country. Uh, and an interesting thing's happening with that. Um, foreign countries are moving their embassies back into Kiev. Okay, um, and uh, what I want to draw attention to that, um, or, or the reason I want to draw attention to that is because I think it will help, help kind of paint the picture, if you are new, of, of what embassy church is, what the local church is, and how we talk about it. Um, but, but foreign nations are, are heading back to Kiev. They're reestablishing their embassies, okay? And what I can promise you is they're, they're not rebuilding buildings. Um, they're certainly not hooking up, like, double-wide trailers and, like, trucking them back into Kiev. Right, what's going on here is their ambassador and their diplomatic staff is, is going back into the capital city and they're setting up shop. Uh, and the point I want to make is an embassy is it's a diplomatic outpost, right? Um, it's a people, not a place, okay? And those foreign embassies represent another nation in a foreign context. They represent another country, another kingdom, if you will, even another king, okay? And so embassy church, in a similar way, um, and all local churches are that. They're embassies. They're outposts of the kingdom of heaven in a foreign context. That's what embassy church is. It's a people, not a place. And so uh, if you are a guest, uh, and this is your first Sunday or even your second Sunday, I literally couldn't pick a better Sunday for you to come to than this one, an embassy on the move. 
I really couldn't because uh, what my hope is is that you start to understand, and all of us do even more, this paradigm shift from what the church is as a people, not a place, okay? Um, Because something happens when you start to see it that way. You stop thinking about uh, attending services, and you have to start thinking about attending one another. Are you tracking with me? Okay, um, when, when, a, when a church is a, a place, you can think about showing up at a service, right? You can be an attender. You can be a consumer, okay? But that's not the picture of the church in the New Testament. And there's a massive shift that happens when you start to understand the church is an outpost. And you yourself, if you're a Christian, as an emissary for king and kingdom, as a representative in a foreign context for someone else, okay, waving a different flag, when you start to see it that way, you can actually start to shift to, to thinking about not just showing up and consuming, but attending one another. The people sitting to your left and right as brothers and sisters in Christ and what your responsibility uh, is to them, okay? That's a massive kind of paradigm shift uh, when you think about what embassy church is, when you think about uh, what the, the local church is. And so, again, if you're a guest and even if you're not, um, this is a great picture of who embassy church is. Right? We are a people, and we're people on the move, you know. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's a cool thing, and, and it's interesting to, to even look at the news and, and see that kind of played out on a geopolitical level. So if you have a Bible, um, we are going to look at how to do that, okay. Um, we're going to jump back into the book of Galatians. Uh, since the start of the year, we have been looking at this sermon series that we've titled The Gospel Period. Okay, really looking at the book of Galatians because we're a young church plant. And so we're looking at long, this, this collection of young church plants in this region known as Galatia uh, that the Apostle Paul um, planted. And years later, he's writing too because they've gotten away from the gospel. They've gotten away from the core of the message. They've moved to gospel plus and they've gotten away from gospel period. Okay, the gospel is that even though we're more wicked in our hearts than we dare to imagine, at the same time, we're more loved than we dare to dream. And the cross tells us that, right? The cross tells us like, man, sin is a big deal and God couldn't sit idly by and not deal with it. Okay, but the cross also tells us that the way God dealt with it is he judged our sin by condemning his son. Okay, Um, And so that's the gospel period. The gospel plus is, man, that's great, but that's not enough. And so let me add to it my morals, my ethics, my good works, anything to maybe earn salvation, right? Earn worth, earn value before God, or kind of pay him back, right? Um, And so we're looking at this sermon series. We've got two more weeks of it. Um, And what we're looking at today is um, this idea of what it looks like to attend one another, we're getting this section of Galatians that is in most of the Pauline epistles, these Pauline letters, uh, that I would title orthopraxy. Okay, Paul starts his letters looking at orthodoxy and what do we believe, and then he gets into orthopraxy. How do we live it out? Because attending one another is hard. It is way easier for you to attend a service. Right? It's easy like for me to, okay, I just got to show up on time. Maybe I'm going to dress my Sunday best. Okay, I'm going to be kind. I just got to talk to that person for one minute because a minute and a half is excruciating because this guy's awkward, right? I don't know if that was your experience just now. I'm not calling anybody out. But attending a service is easy, and there's only so many places you can go wrong with it. But attending one another, opening ourselves up to relationship, asking people to get into our lives, and us getting in theirs, right, that takes 
intimacy. That takes vulnerability. That's scary. But frankly, it's a beautiful picture. And um, again, the Pauline epistles, uh, this is a Romans 12, Romans 13 kind of thing. All throughout Pauline epistles, he has these chunks of scripture where he just lays it out and goes, man, if the gospel really changes everything, if it really transforms everything, it will definitely transform our relationships. Let me play out what that looks like. And that's what this little chunk in Galatians chapter 6 is. Okay, so um, how do we attend one another? How do we do this thing called Christian community? How does the gospel really, really, in a very, very pragmatic way, transform our relationships? So if you have your Bible, uh, I actually want to start us in Galatians chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible, stop by the table of contents. But Galatians chapter 5, and I want to start us in verse 25, okay? And so I'll read for us, and then we can, um, we can look at the main chunk, which is chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. It says, if we live by the Spirit, this is verse 25, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? And so I just want to give us a little context because obviously chapter 6 follows chapter 5. And context um, determines meaning. And so we, we got to understand what's going on here in Galatians. Uh, Derek preached a couple weeks ago. We kind of stepped out of the gospel period. But Derek preached a couple weeks ago on gospel character. But, but essentially the picture here is this. If you've been reborn by the Spirit, all right, if Christ's death and resurrection is, is your death and resurrection, and you, now you have new life in Christ, things start to change, okay? And if you're a Christian, you know this because you start to have desires that change. It's like, man, I, I didn't desire godly things, now I do. I used to desire ungodly things, now I don't. Like stuff's happening, stuff's stirring in your life, right? You used to not even know right and wrong, now you know it, and now you... You, you see the wrong for what it is, right? You see sin as the, the over-promising, under-delivering, disgusting thing that, that God sees it as, not as this enticing thing that you used to. And, and you're changing, okay? But it, but it goes to follow that. It goes to follow. That doesn't make any sense. You know, however you would say that, what logically follows from that is that you don't just change, but your relationships change. And so, we're, again, we're asking the question, like, what does that look like and how do we do that? And I, I don't want you to see this as a bunch of rules um, or responsibilities or things like that. But I want you to see it as the empowerment that, that the Spirit gives us um, to change how we relate to one another, okay? If we live by the Spirit, which we do, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, um, I've been married to a beautiful woman for 11 almost years now, uh, 10 and a half. I'm jumping the gun. And uh, very often she will tell me, so-and-so's coming over, we're going for a walk, okay? Uh, if you're a married man, you know what this means. Because the point is not a walk. The point is we are going to connect in relationship, right? Um, this is why she, Allison doesn't ask me to walk, because I, I struggle at connecting in relationship, you know? And she'd rather talk to someone else. Um, and so if another mom comes over, or it doesn't have to be a mom, or another gal, um, in mom world, walk means relationship, Okay? And it's the same thing in the biblical world. Like walk means relationship. So what you see here in verse 25 is if we live by the Spirit, let's, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This picture of walking with the Spirit in relationship should play itself out in how we walk in relationship with one another. Y'all tracking with that? Okay. So look at verse 26. And I want to read for us. Um, this is actually the chunk. I don't like how um, they split this passage. But I think it starts in 526 and carries us on through 6. Five. This is how we are to do gospel relationships. When the gospel gets in there and changes us, it should change us. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Okay, so um, I, I want to break this passage down kind of in three sections. Um, it seems strange that I always do it that way, but I do. Um, but to understand gospel relationships, one, we got to understand the root of our dysfunction, okay? The root of our dysfunction. So that's verse 26. Um, and then we need to understand the responsibility of our commitment. Our credit, you're saying I, I have to attend one another. What's the responsibility of that commitment? Because I've been coming to Hemisphere a little bit. I'm kind of sitting in the back row. I'm listening to what you are talking about. And frankly, it's too much. It's a little, little easier for me to just kind of attend something bigger and be on the outs. This church plant thing kind of freaks me out, right? People are like way too in my business, okay? Um, what's the responsibility of a Christian's commitment to another Christian, especially in a local church? And then lastly, the requisite of our analysis, uh, our analysis okay? The root of our dysfunction, the responsibility of our commitment, and then... Um, what, what that requires, okay? Look at verse 26. Um, it's profound, but it's brief, okay? Um, look at verse 26. Some older English Bible translations, I don't know what you're carrying. Um, I'm preaching from the CSB. Um, but some older English Bible transitions, translations, excuse me, um, don't use the word conceit here. They use the word vainglory. All right, that's not something that we use in our vocabulary very often, but vainglory. Just, but think about the compound word that it is and what that really means, Okay? Vainglory instead of conceit, all right? It's, it gives a, a word picture of what's going on here. It's, it's someone who doesn't have glory. They're empty of glory. They're empty of, of honor. They're empty of worth. They're like a black hole, okay? They're like a vacuum, okay? So when we're conceited, um, there's something just missing. There's a, there's a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it, and we're the type of person that's always looking to our left and to our right to other people to validate us, Right? to get our worth from them, to, to get our glory or our honor from them. And this, this shows itself in two different ways. And this is why I say it's a, it's a short statement, but it's a profound one, okay? Um, because con be, to be conceited uh, at its root leads to either provoking one another or envying one another, okay? Um, this is what happens when, and we all know it, right? We all do it. We put ourselves in this pecking order, right? And maybe you did it when you walked in here. You kind of walk in here, and you're like, and you wouldn't say it this way, right? But you're looking around, and you're kind of finding where you fit, and you're putting yourself in a pecking order, and, and you're either provoking, right? You're putting yourself, you're elevating yourself above someone else, okay? Or you're, you're, you're demoting yourself. You're envying. You're putting someone else above you, Okay? Um, this is how Tim Keller kind of defines conceit. He says, conceit is a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory, lean, leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. And this is key. It in turn fixates our mind on comparing ourselves with others. And then he says, this describes the natural state of our heart without the gospel. Right? So the key word there is perceived. Right? We, we don't see it rightly, but we're looking around Okay, and we get our, again, our identity, our worth, our glory, our value, our honor from the people around us, and we're just like this vacuum, okay? And again, it, it leads to either putting ourselves above people or below people, um, but with a command here in verse 26 is do not be conceited. 
John Stott takes it further. Um, he says it this way. He says, when we're conceited, our relationships with other people are bound to be poisoned. Indeed, whenever relationships with other people deteriorate, conceit is always the basic cause. Right? So you're getting that idea uh, of conceit, of vainglory, and this is the thing that gets into um, community in general that really erodes it, okay? Um, it's like if, if I could kind of paint a, a hazard sign, it's like hazard corrosive, right? That's what conceit is to, to community of any types, and so, as Paul's writing this, and he's going, look, this is how the Spirit is changing you as an individual, but this is how it's changing y'all, if I'm from the South, as a community, you got to be careful about conceit because it's corrosive. Um, it's it's, um, it's the, the root to two different fruits of provocation or envy. Um, what's the... I watch so many Disney movies at my house. It's, it's crazy. Uh, we have Disney Plus, and I have three daughters, and it's just on repeat. But Lady and the Tramp has been the one that's been on lately. Um, and so you know the picture, right, where they start on two ends of the noodle, and they end, uh, you know, Lady and the Tramp kissing each other. Everyone's staring at me like, no, I watch Mulan. I, I don't, uh, Lady and the Tramp's old. I know. I get it. Mulan's still old. I don't know what the new stuff is. Um, but it, it's, it's the same noodle, Okay provocation and envy. It doesn't matter what side you're on. It's the same root thing going on in your heart. You're conceited. I'm conceited, okay? There's a problem with how our hearts operate, trying to put ourselves in a pecking order, right? And we, we look at other people and go, man, I'd never do that, right? Or, or man, I couldn't do that, right? What are you doing? You're, you're looking around for validation, for worth, for glory, for honor, but you're putting yourself in a pecking order, and this is the most corrosive thing to any kind of intimate community, okay? And so um, the scriptures tell us very clearly, uh, let us not become conceited, okay? So kill conceit before it kills you, all right? So what about the responsibility of our commitment, Okay. Uh, what about the responsibility? That's the root of our dysfunction. That's what is at the core is often going on. When we're not getting along, we're not connecting, there's, there's roommate conflict, whatever it is, um, there's conceit in our heart and we need to deal with it. Um, what about the responsibility of our commitment to one another? Look at verse 1, and I'll read for us again. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrong do wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watch out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it's not inconsequential that the Apostle Paul starts with our identity here, right? And he, he says, brothers and sisters, he's appealing to this new identity, not just for you as an individual. Again, if you've become a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of God. And so your relationship with God isn't the only thing that's changed. Now your relationship with one another. The person sitting next to you isn't just a stranger. If you're a Christian and they're a Christian, that person is a spiritual sibling. And if you're a member, a committed, covenanted member of Embassy Church, that's an even another layer of, of responsibility to that person. Okay? Um, what does that look like? How does that play out? Um, well, ultimately, um, the core is verse 2, that we should be a kind of people that, that carry one another's burdens, that we're, we're burden bearers for one another. Okay, the, the most dangerous thing in the Christian life is, is honestly trying to go it solo, right? Where it's just like, I got an individual relationship with, with Jesus. You don't see that anywhere in the New Testament, 
I hope you have a personal relationship with Jesus because he's risen, he's alive, right? You can, but I hope it is not individual, okay? But we're called to one another. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to be burden bearers. And so that plays itself out a a bunch of different ways. And again, that's why I love these kind of parts in in the Pauline epistles where um, they're the one another's of Scripture. You'll hear us talk about this a lot at Embassy. Like, how do you practice the one another's? How do you live them out? Okay? We got a few of them here. Um, But... But ultimately, the context in these two verses is, is someone who's overtaken in wrongdoing, right? So the picture is this. The picture is there's a brother or sister who's burdened down with sin, and the question is, do you have a responsibility to that person? Are you just do your thing, you let them do theirs, right? Do you have a responsibility to the person that, that clearly is struggling is exhausted, is getting their tail whipped by sin. And right here it says, yeah, you do. But the question is how? Now, there's a few key things I want to key in on here. Um, because, uh, one, I want you to hear, um, man, I, I hope we'd be the kind of community that isn't apathetic to one another's walk, right? That we want to, like, spur one another on, right? It's like, look, I am running after Jesus. Run with me. And, like, when we see a friend just, like, struggling, right, if we're, if we're running a marathon and you see a friend just, like, I don't know if you've ever, like, ran a marathon. I haven't. I've ran two halves, so I just put it together. Um, so I have run a marathon. But, but you get to the end and, like, your legs just feel like jello. Like, if you saw a friend like that, you'd want to just, like, hopefully put your head under their arm and say, let's go, let's do this together. Right? That's what the Christian life should look like. Hopefully you're not just running like, saka, right? <laughs> you're just like, you're struggling in sin. Sucks for you, buddy. Oh, he said sucks. Um, now I'm struggling in sin. No, I'm kidding. So hopefully you're the kind of person that, that wants to come alongside somebody that you go, man, you're being weighed down by sin, and the most loving thing I can do is not be conceited that I go, man, I could never struggle with that. You see where Paul's going with this? But you go, man, let me put my head under your arm and pick you up and bear your burdens with you. But there's some keys to how to do this, right? Because this is tricky. Because we've all tried that, right? It's like, man, I, I want to have this conversation with my roomie or, or my friend. And then you go in the conversation and you're like debriefing it with some friends later. It's like, how'd it go? It's like, terrible. Terrible. Like, I went in there. I got smacked around, you know, proverbially speaking, right? I tried to tell them, hey, I see this going on. I want to talk about it. It wasn't well received. Like, but it got really sideways, really messy. Like, they aren't any better for it. I'm not better for it. So I'm just not going to get in people's business anymore. Okay, um, so how do we do this? Um, look at some keys here. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, there's a couple keys. You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, right? Don't write them off. You want to see them restored with a gentle spirit. Um, but there's some keys to how. One, it's you who are spiritual, right? So you've got to be walking by the spirit to do this, right? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control should be coming out when you do this, okay? Um, and then a gentle spirit, right? There, there needs to be a, a whimsical piece to it and a humble piece to it, okay? Because you just bust up in there, it's like, bro, you in sin. It's like, that, that's not going over well. It's like, hey, can I point this uh, speck out in your eye, buddy? It's like, oh, yeah, please point the speck out. I love when people do that, right? Now, I'm, I'm being sarcastic here. Um, this is a challenging thing to do. But, man, when it's done well, it is so beautiful. It's so life-giving. I don't know if you've been on one end or the other of this, 
of people just kind of calling you out. You know, I remember um, a couple years ago, uh, I was in Glacier National Park. I was with, um, I've shared this story maybe in this context before, but I was with Allison. Um, it was our five-year anniversary. We took it in year six because we had our second child in year five. Um, and then we were weird enough to invite some friends along, you know. And so our, uh, our two best friends, Ernie and Laura, um, who just planted Cincinnati, uh, came with us. And so we're on our anniversary trip, five-year anniversary, year six, Glacier National Park. And it's the first night in the cabin, and we're just like settling down. And old friends kind of catch up, you know, as old friends do. And so we get into deep conversation. And my buddy Ernie is asking me about, you know, what's next for me. I had been in my role as a college pastor for years. And he's going, are you thinking about next steps? Do you think you're going to be a college pastor for the rest of your life? You're kind of like 32 now, like, you know, thinking about next steps. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Um, but this is why I don't feel the freedom to leave. And I start rattling off all these things. And like an old friend only can do, um, his response is, man, that sounds great. I just, just didn't hear anything about Jesus in that answer. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, he just kind of like just gut punched me. Like it wasn't a face punch, but it was a gut punch. And he just called me out for really unhealthy boundaries with where I was at in ministry um, and really unhealthy motives. And he was a guy that God used in that moment to be a brother, right? Um, it wasn't some huge wrongdoing, if you will. But it was a godly man looking at me going, hey, you're being weighed down. You're anxious because, man, you're actually not stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord. And you're, you're staying put for all the wrong reasons. And it was, honestly, it was for a lot of vanity. It was for a lot of conceit. I felt like, man, if I left, then things would fall apart. Right? God's building this. But really, you know, I was conceited. And he called me out. Do you have a friend like that? Have you ever been in a position like that? Have you ever been able to be that kind of person for somebody? And if you want to be, it starts with addressing the conceit in your own heart and really um, understanding what your responsibility is to another. Now, look at the law of Christ. I want to touch on this, and I want to circle back. Um, what is this law of Christ that the Apostle Paul is alluding to? Um, the law of Christ is simply this, and this is basic Christianity 101. Um, we're to love one another as Christ loved us. Now, if you don't leave with anything and you leave with that, you're going to be in great shape. If you walk out of here and you go, man, okay, uh, I'm going to try and put that one into practice. I'm going to try and love one another, right, brothers and sisters of Christ, but we'll even go with our neighbor. Um, I'm going to try and love one another as Christ loved me. All right, this is what Jesus tells his disciples um, right before he's betrayed and ultimately crucified um, in, in John 15, he says, this is my command to love one another. This is John 15, 12 and 13. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to qualify that. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And then ultimately we see that. We see Jesus laying his life down for his disciples and going, all right, I'm going to give you the standard. All right, you, you can't just take the word love and redefine it. Love is... This, this picture of me laying down my life for you. So what Paul's saying is, and this is key right here, okay, in our responsibility to one another, the best way that we can be burden bearers is to actually love 
the person who is struggling in sin, who is burdened by sin, and actually serve them by confronting them, okay? Now, again, this is, this is hard, all right, um, because ultimately it, it's not to cast off, it's to restore, and this is where the gospel is really key. And I'm going to circle back to this after we kind of look at this, this, this back section. But, but Jesus' seriousness with sin can't be understated, okay? But, man, was he gentle, right? You just, see, you just think all the times where Jesus just restored. Like, think of Peter, right, where he's stepping in and, and restoring Peter, right? He, he's honest about what's going on, and he's wanting Peter to be restored from his three times rejecting um, that he knows Christ, and so gently, right, in the back end of the gospel account, he's going, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And, and trying to lift his friend back up. Jesus was the perfect picture of this, this burden bearer, okay? But let me close out um, and look at, uh, look at the last couple of verses. Uh, and let me actually, let me say this before I do that. This whole... Um, book has been challenging, how do I say this, um, it's been challenging this attempt at self-salvation, right, that these Galatian Christians have gotten tricked into, right, they, they started with the gospel, they started with grace, and then these false teachers are coming and going, hey, that's good, it's just not good enough, go ahead, get circumcised, follow the law, and maybe, maybe you'll be acceptable before God, Right? Which is not the gospel. That's gospel plus. The gospel is you're acceptable before God the Father because of what God the Son has done and being united in Him by grace through faith. Not of your own effort, work, you know, invention, all His. Okay? Now, the irony of what's going on here, okay, the irony of what the Apostle Paul is pointing out is that we can be so conceited as Christians. And so focused in our conceit of even trying to certain way, have certain glory or honor or validation, that we can miss the whole point of the law. Okay, so track with me real quick. Um, some of you are so concerned because you're not sitting in the truth of the gospel about bearing the burden of the, the law, if you will, that you're actually not able to love your brother or sister around you. You're not able to bear their burdens, okay? So I'll give you a few examples in, in Jesus' ministry. Um, the Good Samaritan, okay? The Good Samaritan is a picture of people who were too concerned about bearing the burden of the law, right? Man, can't touch a dead person, right? So you got priests and scribes walking around him that they actually can't do the one thing that the law requires, which is love your neighbor. And that's the gut punch of the whole story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, What's going on in the heart of those people who are walking past a man who's half dead on the road? Conceit. They're so concerned with themselves, right? Their, their holiness before God that they can't do the one thing that God would do, which is stop and serve the Samaritan. And that plays itself out in our hearts all the time. This is the rebuke of Jesus uh, for the Pharisees when he's healing on the Sabbath, right? When, when, when they're like, hey, you just heal that guy's hand? You know, you know, it's, you know, it's Saturday, right? And Jesus is like, do you not understand what the Sabbath is all about? The Sabbath is all about wholeness. God created in six days and on the seventh day he rested. It wasn't because he was tired. It was because he brought it to completion. And I just made that man's hand whole 
and you're telling me that you're not standing in awe and giving glory to God for what I'm doing, that you're concerned about me breaking some Sabbath laws, you're missing the whole point of the law. You're, you're missing the forest for the trees. This is the irony of this whole passage is when we're conceited, when we're so worried about ourselves that we, we, we can't get outside of ourselves and really bear our brothers' and sisters' burdens and really love others. Let me get a little more personal. Um, I, I wake up in the morning, for the most part, um, it's just a habit. I, I open my Bible, and I want to get in the Word, and I want to renew my mind and what's true. I want to kind of reset my heart for the day. And, man, there is some just really embarrassing irony. When I'm reading my Bible and at the same time thinking, golly, my kids are freaking annoying, right? Or, you know, I'm trying to do my thing and I, I want my own time. And it's like I got to get my time in the Word. And Allison just wants to talk to me. I don't want to talk in the morning. And I got to read my Bible. And, frankly, I'm a better Christian because I'm reading my Bible. So why don't you read your Bible? Right? It's, it's funny, right? That's just a little tongue-in-cheek thing, but like that's what's going on in our hearts, right? I'm provoking her. I'm elevating myself over her. I'm looking down on her. How can I love her when there's conceit in my heart? How can I fulfill the law of Christ? How can I actually bear any of her burdens and listen to what's going on in her heart, her wife heart, her mom heart, and go, I hear you, baby. I'm really sorry. That's tough. I can't. And so there, there's a lot of irony in what Paul's sharing here, which is going like, guys, these false teachers are, are talking about the burden of the law, and, and the irony is, man, if we would walk by the Spirit, we'd actually bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters and then fulfill the law. You see the beauty of that and how that goes full circle? Yes, no, sometimes maybe. It's an awesome thing. Let me close out for us the requisite of our analysis. Um, this, is, this is brief, but look at verse 3. Uh, through five. It says, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Ultimately, what Paul's saying, what this passage is telling us is stop scrutinizing others and just study yourself. Stop scrutinizing others and just study yourself. Right? At this point in the passage, we should be asking, man, how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How, how, how do we be these kind of spiritual siblings that really bear one another's burdens, that really fulfill the law of Christ? Um, the key to not being conceited is stop comparing yourself to other people. Right? Compare yourself to yourself. Where were you a year ago? Because walking doesn't imply growth, right? Um, so where were you a year ago? Are you maturing in Christ? Do you see more fruit of the Spirit of Christ in your life? Are you keeping in better step with the Spirit today than you were a year ago? That's a very different question comparatively, right? It, 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 I, almost, I almost said I'm a runner. I am not. Um, when I run on occasion, I compete against myself. I'm not competing against Derek because then I would envy Derek because Derek is very fast. And I'm not going to compete. I'm not even going to say somebody's name because then I would be provoking because I'm faster than them. But I'm thinking of you right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm competing against myself. I'm, I'm looking at my time from the last time I ran three months before. And I'm, I'm trying to run faster than that. And then I will, I will look at it again three months later. I'm going to use an analogy, and I hope this, this sticks. Anyone been to Chicago? 
Anyone seen The Bean? The Bean in Millennium Park. Um, I mean, look, if, you're, if you grew up going to circuses, um, you walked in these kind of mirror houses, these distortion mirrors. Um, man, in Iowa, the fair's a big deal. I'm, su- I'm sure they have them at, at fairs. Is, is the fair a big deal in Indiana? It is, okay. In Iowa, like, they, they, they put the whole, like, elementary, middle, high school calendar around the fair. Like, you don't start school until you go to the fair. It's a big deal. Um, so, you know, carnivals, fairs, you know, even if you think about, um, you know, pulling out your cell phone and, and a filter, right, in your selfie camera, um, comparing yourself to people is like looking in a distortion mirror. Like, you're never going to see yourself accurately, You're either going to see yourself worse than you are or better, right? You're either looking at a convex picture or a concave picture, okay? The only way to actually see yourself actually is to stare at God. And the only picture we have of that is Christ in the flesh, right? That's why when you read the Gospels and you you read the red letters and you see this man and how he related to people, what he talked about, how he interacted, like it crushes you. Right? In the best of ways. But it doesn't, like, minimize you. It calls you up. Like, it's this weird, like, sobering thing. And so, man, don't, don't look at distorting mirrors of the person to your left and right. Look at the true mirror. Um, look at Christ. That's going to be the thing that, that, that that'll really put you um, in the best place where you need to be. So, um, we got to bear one another's burdens. we got to carry our own load. And stop scrutinizing, uh, scrutinizing others and start studying ourselves. So this is what I want to end with. I want to go back to this law of Christ idea. Again, I'm going to read for us from John 15. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this. To lay down his life for his friends. Again, Jesus doesn't just say love others. He qualifies it. Okay, And he qualifies it as being, we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. You are to love your brother and sister in here as Christ has loved you. When you were overtaken a wrongdoing, and I just want you to think about this, when you were overtaken a wrongdoing, Jesus carried your burden. Right? He was your burden bearer. Think about it. To the extent that that daily seeps down into your heart, that alone will enable you to be a burden bearer for someone else, right? The extent that the love of Christ seeps down in your heart is what empowers you in me to be a burden bearer for someone else. Like, think about if Jesus was, was full of vainglory. I love that term, conceited, right? And he just looked down on us. He's like, look at all you sinners, like that YouTube video that was popular like 15 years ago when YouTube was cool. Um, it's great, anyway. Full of vainglory if he disassoci- disassociated from you. Right? He didn't do that. He came near. He, he, he didn't just come near. He, he became like us, and then he became, I, I don't want to say the worst of us because it, it, that frames it wrong, right? But he, he died a horrific death on our behalf. Like, this is the gospel. And this is the key to our community's connection and just getting rid of that corrosive idea of conceit that just seeds itself in human heart. Peter writes it this way, he bore him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died the sins, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's Jesus, man. He's the great burden bearer. He bore our sins in his body on that tree. 
and that's changed everything. And, and righteousness for you, if you're a Christian, it means bearing the burden of another. Right? That's the beauty of the gospel, okay? To, to live in righteousness, it, it, it's not to get into this religious cycle of having to, to perform to please God, but Christ has already performed on your behalf, so it frees you. It frees you to be a burden bearer for other people. And my hope is that we would be that kind of community, right? That's a, that's a, a food-sharing kind of people like we talk about it. That's, that's people that, that open their lives up to one another and go, come on in, right? This is me. I, I'm not judging you. You're not judging me. I got nothing to hide, right? And there's no vainglory in here. Like, I'm finding my worth, my, my identity, everything in Christ. And, and I'm free. I'm free to interact with you, to be intimate with you to be accountable to you, and then to, to serve you and to love you. Like, that's a radical idea for a community. And it's only possible with the gospel. So my heart really is that we would be, we would be so secure in our identity and our value and our worth that we would be people that would, that would really live life with one another and be willing to call one another out and go, hey, look, I see you're struggling. Let me help you. Put an arm over my shoulder. Let me carry that weight with you. What's going on? Right? But, but not just secure, but we'd be so clear-eyed about it and pure-hearted about it that it would be received. Right? That's a, that's a powerful community to be a part of. And that's what only the gospel can do. So let me pray for us that we'd be that kind of church, that we'd be a church um, that is full of burden bearers. Right? That we carry our own load, yes, but, but beyond that, that we would care for and love our brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you that it doesn't just change us singular. It changes us plural, and I pray that we would be that kind of church, that we would um, take radically serious the identity or, or the responsibility, rather, of being burden bearers, that we'd love one another and we'd fulfill the law of Christ that we would get outside of ourselves and the world being revolved around us and our needs and what we do or don't do, that we just want to be so self-absorbed and it's so tough, confessedly, in a culture that is so, so much applauding that, of us being self-absorbed, of us building our brand, of it being about I and me. I pray that we be countercultural in that. And we know that that's only possible if your gospel roots itself deep in our hearts, if the the reality of what you've done for us in your son um, just begins to change us more and more. So would you help us? Would you empower us to keep us up with your spirit, spirit, to bear fruit of love and to bear one another's burdens? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. We pray these things in his powerful authority. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.